Hello, welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Today I'll be teaching from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm reading as usual from the New International Version. So grab your Bible and let's get started. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, and I'm reading, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So here Paul instructed Timothy to be strong in the grace in Christ. Now the way to be strong in God's grace uh, is through diet and exercise. We gain strength in the spiritual realm, in the, in the spiritual sense, the same way that we do in the natural sense. In the natural sense, if we want to get strong, we have to eat right. We have to eat the right thing, things that are conducive to strength and building muscle, and we have to exercise. And so we have to do the same thing uh, as it relates to being strong in the Lord. Uh, we have to eat the word. The right thing is the word of God. Matthew 4 and 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we have to be in the habit of reading the word of God on a regular basis. We have to build that as Christians. We have to build that as a habit in our lives, and that strengthens us. There is strength in the word of God. Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. That's the King James Version. So hiding the word in our heart is a hedge against sinning against God. The word of God in us gives us strength, spiritual strength, to obey God. You cannot obey God without strength. If you're weak, you're going to give in to temptation. But the way to stay strong is to stay filled up on the Word of God. And then secondly, we have to meditate on the Word of God. We have to reflect upon it. Psalms 1 and, and 1 through 3 is uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And, and it tells us that if we meditate upon God's Word day and night, that we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in our season. And the Bible says that whatever we do will prosper. Our leaves will not wither, it says. And whatever we do will prosper. And that uh, that idea of our leaves not withering has to do with us producing fruit even in old age. So as long as we feast on the Word of God, we have to read it. Uh, we have to meditate upon it. Uh, and then we have to practice the the. Uh, the habit of prayer. So, so uh, taking the word in, it strengthens us. Meditating or reflecting upon the word of God strengthens us. And then prayer as a practice strengthens us. Jesus said, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Matthew 26, 41, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He said, watch and pray. He said, be alert, in other words. To watch means to be alert. You're watching out for temptation. You're watching out for things to come at you that will cause you to fall, overthrow you. You're walking around with your eyes open, aware of what is around you. And you're watching and, and, and you're praying as well. So 
So prayer gives us strength, as well as reading the Word of God and as well as meditating upon the Word of God. Jude 20, Jude 1.20 says, And you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So uh, it is through prayer that we gain strength. To be strong, we have to do all three of these things. We have to develop the habit of reading the Word of God. We have to meditate upon the Word of God. And we have to spend regular time in prayer to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, Paul tells Timothy to find trustworthy, that is, reliable people, to pass on the word that Paul gave to him. In other words, what he received, he was to pass on to others. Paul's teachings were very valuable and could not be entrusted to just anyone. So he, he told Timothy to look out for, to find other people who are trustworthy and faithful, and then pass on this word to them and let them pass it on to others. Only trustworthy, reliable people who understand the value of the word of God would be qualified to receive it and to teach it to others. Paul was, in essence, telling Timothy to carefully select this generation of leaders and prepare them to select the next generation of leaders. So the word of God is a legacy that we pass on. Uh, we take it, we enjoy it, we live by it, we reap the benefits of it, and of course we pass it on uh, to our posterity, to our children, and to future generations who will also benefit by it and pass it on down. And that will uh, continue, that cycle will continue until Jesus comes again. In verse 3, Paul told Timothy, to join him in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Suffering is part of the lot of being a Christian. There's no way around it, especially Christian leaders, because Christian leaders are targeted. Uh, they carry the ball. And so the enemy wants to stop them because Christian leaders impact the lives of other people in a positive way. And Satan wants to, of course, short circuit that process so he attacks Christian leaders and he brings trouble into our lives. But God gives us the grace to continue on. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 informs us that anyone who determines to live a godly Christian life will suffer persecution. So we're going to suffer some persecution uh, along with the blessings of the Lord if we're serving God. But if we suffer with Christ, the Bible says, we will also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.12 says that. Paul said the suffering of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's Romans 8 and 18. So suffering for Christ will pay off big. There's no way around the suffering. We're going to have some trouble. We're going to have persecution. Um, by the fact that we're trying to live godly, people are going to challenge us. Um, they're going to say that, that, we're, uh, that we're dumb, that we are, are not very intelligent to believe this stuff. And, and the enemy is going to use people to put obstacles in our way. But if we continue on, if we suffer with the Lord, we will reign with him. Now I'm reading verses 4 through 7. 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Now, in essence, Paul is saying, if you really want to please Christ, stay focused and stay engaged in those things that please him. Don't entangle yourself with things that hinder you from pleasing Christ. Get rid of those things that hinder you, that get in the way, that conflict with your walk with Christ. Anything in your life that scripture clearly condemns should be abandoned. Christians must free ourselves to devote ourselves to pleasing and serving God. Hebrews 12 and 1 and 2 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles or ensnares us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And it goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, though he despised the shame, the shame of it, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus Christ is certainly our example uh, to follow. He was focused. Uh, he was determined. His, his mind was made up. The old King, G King James Version uses the term that his face was set like a flint. Uh, that is, he would not be deterred from his goal. And, and we want to have that same kind of perseverance and that same kind of determination. Paul also said, athletes have to play by the rules of the game to qualify to win. The idea here is... Uh, earnestly contend for the prize. We should earnestly, we should passionately contend for pleasing Christ and doing what is right and expecting a reward in the future. Uh, but we have to constrain ourselves to running according to God's rules and, and, uh, of Christian living in order to qualify for the prize. God's promises are conditioned upon following his instructions. We cannot violate God's commands and still expect to receive his promises. Blessings follow obedience. And all through the Bible, um, as I'm reading through the scriptures and, and I go through the Bible at, at least uh, once or twice uh, every year and all the way through, and I mark it in my Bible every time I see it, uh, that uh, blessings follow obedience. B-F-O. Blessings follow obedience. That's the principle of God that, that, that is repeated throughout the Bible, that if we obey him, if we walk in his ways, he will bless us. Aside from eternal life, there are special rewards in store for God's people who devote themselves to doing good and faithfully obeying him. That's why Jesus said, show up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Matthew chapter 6 and 20. We will be richly rewarded in heaven for the things that we do here on earth. Paul uses these three metaphors, the, the metaphor of the farmer and the metaphor of the soldier and that of the athlete to illustrate that success follows focused effort, submission to authority, 
and observance of God's rules or God's commands. The soldier succeeds in pleasing his commanding officer. The athlete succeeds in winning the prize, and the farmer succeeds at partaking of the first fruit he has worked so hard uh, to reap. The soldiers avoid distractions and entanglements that hinder his goal of pleasing his commander. The athlete is careful to play hard, but play by the rules to achieve his goal of, of winning. And the farmer works hard in the fields, and, uh, and he follows the laws of sowing and reaping, uh, plowing and planting and cultivating, and he gets the harvest. So Paul urges us to follow that same pattern. He urges Timothy to reflect on his instructions and promises him that the Lord will give him the understanding. As students of the word, we can't just stumble through and never take the time to reflect on what we've read. We've got to read it, reflect upon it, meditate upon the word of God, and then do it. Read, then pause and reflect on what you've read and ask God for the understanding of it. Dig into the word. God may be preparing you, uh, may be preparing you to, to teach someone else. So uh, do your part in understanding the word of God, seeking it, seeking it out, and, and, and really seeking after wisdom and knowledge in the word of God. Now I'm reading verses 8 through 10. Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel of which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul presents two foundational points of the gospel or good news here. Number one, the resurrection of Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. And, uh, and we have to realize that, and we have to hold it there. Uh, uh, two, his resurrection demonstrates his deity. Three, his resurrection proves that he is the Messiah or the Christ that was prophesied to come to us. And number four, his resurrection promises our resurrection. Romans chapter 8 and 11 in the new, uh, the, the new International Version says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The King James says he will quicken your mortal bodies, which simply means to give life to it. Um, Quicken doesn't mean to make you jerk or twitch. It simply means that it will give life. Quicken means to give life to, life. Paul also mentions that Jesus descended from David. This is more important evidence that he is the Messiah in Isaiah 11 and 1. The gospel or good news is that the promised Christ has come into the world in fulfillment of scriptures and that he died and rose from death, bringing salvation and eternal life to all who believe. In verse 10, Paul mentions his endeavor to bring salvation to the elect. The elect is everyone who will hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to reach everyone that he could 
and lead them to Christ. Now I'm reading verses 11 through 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. We can trust this promise or this saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, that is, if we suffer, whatever comes our way, we will also reign with him. We die with him when we place our faith in him and submit to him as Lord. We identify with him. We join with him in his death and burial and resurrection. We become one with him. We endure, that is, suffer with him when we begin to live the Christian life and trouble and persecution comes about as a result of that. If we endure that suffering, we will reign with him in his kingdom. The prophet Daniel said, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. That's Daniel 7 and 18. The, the apostle Paul said, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world. And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Verse 12 in our text today says, if we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. Jesus said, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven, Matthew 10, 33 in the NIV. So if we are faithless and deny him, he remains faithful to who he is. He will not devi deviate from being the holy son of God that he is because we are unfaithful. The only way that we can please him and receive his promises is by faith. And we demonstrate our faith through our faithfulness, through our commitment to follow him. Jesus said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray, um, betray and hate each other. Matthew 24 and 10. Now I'm reading verses 14 through 15. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Pastors are admonished to be repetitive with certain things, that is, to teach it over and over and to command it over and over and to keep it before the people repetitively, almost to the point of redundancy, to make sure it is entrenched in the older saints and that the newcomers are exposed to it. Now, sometimes older saints get a little weary of hearing something over and over again, but they forget that there are new people coming in all the time who haven't heard these things and who need to hear them. And they also miss the fact that 
teaching is done through repetition. Uh, I taught in the public schools for 12 years. And one of the things that I had to do to ingrain it in the students was to repeat the material over and over and over again, almost to the point of redundancy. And then they would get it after I kept repeating it. So uh, don't get tired of your pastor saying the same thing over and over again. Don't think that it's old hat. It, it's, it's necessity that he does that to entrench in you the word of God. Paul said, warn them against quarreling about words. The false teachers argued about words in the Torah or the first five books of Moses, trying to get Christians to obey the law. And so Paul said, warn them about quarreling about uh, little points from the, uh, from the Torah. Christians should stay with the word of God and, and, and avoid so-called spiritual arguments and ideas that really lead nowhere. Stay with the word of God and, and uh, master it. Uh, focus on it and major on knowing the word of God. If it is not based on the word of God, it's not spiritual. It has no spiritual value. Verse 15 urges us uh, to do the best we can to meet God's approval. It says a worker that needs not to be ashamed rightly or correct, correctly handling the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth. This requires focus and work and effort. We have to carefully study the word of God in order to understand it well enough to handle it correctly, that is to rightly divide it. We have to determine to live according to God's word. If we are, if we are not to be ashamed when he comes in his presence. Now I'm reading verses 16 through 19. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Godless chatter is arguments and teaching that have no basis in fact and no basis in scripture, not supported by the word of, of God. It is godless chatter. So-called spiritual teaching that is not founded and based on the Bible is not spiritual at all. It's godless chatter. Teaching that misinterprets or twists the scripture is godless chatter. False teaching and false ideas mislead people. People who follow it become more and more ungodly. That's what Paul said. Often thinking that they're following God. Godless chatter dismisses the teachings of God, uh, of God's word, and, and establishes its own rules or so-called spirituality. Uh, it's often spirituality without morality. So reject it if it's not based in the word of God and it's supposed to be spiritual, uh, reject it. If it contradicts or ignores the clear teachings of scripture, it is godless chatter. Paul mentions one brand of godless chatter, false teachers who are teaching that the resurrection had already passed. And the implication of that, of course, is that if it has passed and they're still here, that they missed it. 
This false teaching destroyed the faith of those who, who, who had heard that teaching and believed it. So Paul countered that false teaching, that godless chatter, with the truth that God knows his people and he'd never leave anyone behind. The foundation of God standeth sure, the King James says, having this seal or this inscription, having written on it, the Lord knows them that are his and that everyone who named the name of Christ depart from iniquity or uh, walk away from wickedness. He says in verse 19, God's solid foundation is firm and is sealed. Everyone who confesses to be Christians should turn away uh, from that, uh, from this godless chatter and, and the uh, old wicked lifestyle. God is not a man that he should forget his own people. He is not going to forget anyone. Paul also declared that those who confess to be Christians must, this is important, must turn away from wickedness. So uh, today, many people profess to be Christians, but live like the devil. First John 2 and 6 says, he that claims to know him must walk as he walked. That means we have to imitate his lifestyle. Now I'm reading verses 20 and 21. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any, any good work. We have two kinds of household items or articles in our homes. Those that are beautiful and valuable and that we want to display and we want people to see, and those that are for common use. We proudly display those that are beautiful and valuable. We don't display the ones that are for common use. The chamber pot or slop jar was a portable toilet before indoor plumbing became common. And of course, I'm revealing my age because I remember, remember these things. And when I was a boy growing up in Tennessee, a small town of Humboldt, Tennessee, we had outdoor toilet. We didn't have inside plumbing. We had to go outside to the front. There was a hydrant out front that we got our water from. We fill up a water bucket and we brought it in and we had a dipper and we all drank from that common water bucket. And and uh, the toilet was out back. It was uh, an outhouse. Um, but over in the night, they had a chamber pot or, uh, or slop jar. This was common uh, in that area during that time before indoor plumbing came about. I think I was about eight years old when we finally got plumbing in our house and and uh, I was very, very happy over it. But uh, at night you had a chamber pot and uh, you didn't want to go out there in that dark, cold outhouse at night. So there was a chamber pot and this was something that you didn't flash around and you didn't show, you didn't um, um, put it on display uh, you kept it out of sight because it was an embarrassment. Well, Paul is saying that if we continue in wickedness, we're like that chamber pot. Uh, we become an embarrassment. Uh, we're unworthy to be displayed and unuseful for good work. 
Verse 21 informs us that when we cleanse ourselves from wickedness and walk in the light, we shine brightly and become useful to God and prepare for any good work. And when you are walking in the things of God, and, and, and I'm not talking about perfection because none of us are perfect. We are striving for perfection, but we ought to be growing. Uh, there are certain things that we should have pulled off and turned away from. And if there are struggles in our lives over old sin, then, then we need to pray to overcome them. We need to read the word of God. Uh, we need to do everything the Bible says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. So if, you've, uh, if you really want to get rid of the strongholds of sin in your life, then you will pray. Uh, you will make it a habit of, of praying and seeking God. You will read his word because there's strength in that. You will attend church and sit under teaching because there's strength in that. And, and you'll fellowship with other, other believers who are strong because there's strength in that. And if you really want to overcome sin, then do all of the things that are necessary and you'll be able to overcome those things. So no, we're not perfect, but we're growing and we should be getting past some things. We should be overcoming some things in our lives. We should be becoming more and more like Christ. A godly lifestyle is a partnering effort. It's a partnership between us and God. God works in us and we work in God. We can only cleanse ourselves with help from God. Philippians 2 and 12 and 13 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So a godly lifestyle is a partnership between us and God. God works in us and we work with God. 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. So God does his part and we do our part. What is our part? Well, uh, a part of our uh, role, our responsibility is, again, reading the word of God, spending time in prayer, meditating upon the word of God, and being faithful in church attendance and Bible study so that we can grow. Those are the things that help us to grow. That's our responsibility. And God's responsibility is to work inside us, uh, to give us strength as we, as we feed ourselves and nourish ourselves. Um, a, a person who will not go to the table and eat if the food is prepared can't blame the parent or whoever is responsible for them uh, for not having strength if they don't eat. You know, we can't blame God for being weak. He's provided for us the word of God. He's given us a church house to go to and learn. Uh, and he has taught us that we should kneel down and pray and seek after him and has strengthened that. And if we don't do it, then we don't have God to blame. God will not do it all, and we cannot do it all. God works, and we work. That's important to note. Now, I'm reading verses 22 through 24. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Paul says, run from the evil desires of youth. Some of the evil desires of youth are sexual immorality, 
drugs, wild parties, drunkenness, envy, all of these things are just examples of those uh, uh, evil desires of youth. So Paul said, run from it. Run from evil and run after righteousness and faith and love and peace. Make these things your goal and your aim. Verse 22 says, run with the people who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you have to change who you run with. When you become a Christian, you have to change who you run with. You have to find and seek out people in the church who are strong and are moving in the direction that you're going in. And know that even in the church, there are some people going in the wrong direction. You don't want to leave the world. Come to the church and then hook up with the wrong people. You want to get with people who are going with God. Choose carefully who you run with. Again, I say even in the church, choose people who are running in the direction that you want to go in. Verse 23 says, foolish and stupid arguments produce quarrels, so avoid them. Avoid arguments, pointless arguments. As servants of God, we should not be quarrelsome. We should be kind. We should be gentle to everyone, uh, and we should be able to teach. So in order to teach, we've got to learn. We should not be resentful. We should be forgiving. God wants us to be kind and gentle people. He wants us to follow the example of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know the scripture well and well enough to share it with others. Now verses 25 and 26, I'm reading it. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We should be gentle with people who oppose us and oppose the gospel message. We should gently, the Bible says, gently instruct them, like we're trying to Bring forth a baby. We should gently instruct them and, and uh, not go after them like a wild-eyed prophet, uh, like an, an angry religious person, condemning them to hell. No, God has called us to be kind and gentle to people, to in gently instruct them. Our overall aim and our goal is to lead them to the knowledge of the truth, not to prove a point or to prove ourselves right, or to prove how much we know, our goal is to lead them to the knowledge of the truth, gently. Those who oppose the gospel are not in their right senses. They're in Satan's trap, the Bible says. They are, they are blinded like we were once blinded. And, and we, I remember I believed in evolution. I'd come to the point that I didn't, I didn't even believe in God. But God in his kindness and his gentleness revealed himself to me and showed me how wrong I was. Uh, and, and, and now I'm living for God and enjoying the blessings and the bounties of God. And I want other people to enjoy that as well. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 in the New Living Testament says, Satan, who is a God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of God's news, of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of Christ. So they don't understand. 
So God wants us to be gentle with them and to help them understand. Satan has limited rulership over this world until Christ comes. And when Christ returns, he'll take over everything. But until then, Satan deceives people into doing his will. Those who are deceived by him, they're deceived into doing his will. Unsaved people think that they're doing their own will. They think they're doing what they want to do. Um, they, they've really been captured by Satan to do his will because Satan entices them to do evil and to do wicked, and, and they find those things pleasurable. When they turn and the, and, and the light comes on and they find Christ, uh, then they'll find those things repulsive. They'll want to turn away from those things, and they'll want to turn to righteousness. And one time we were all in that trap. All we knew was Satan's way. We thought we were free, but we were slaves. Everybody serves somebody. It's important to know that. You're either serving the will of God and know it, or you're serving the will of Satan and you don't know it. The wise Christian will gently seek to bring those who are serving Satan and don't know it into the knowledge of Christ and gently bring them uh, into Christ and free them from Satan's trap. Amen. Well, that brings us to the close of today's study of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Next week, I'll be teaching from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, friend, if you live in the Indianapolis area, come visit us at New Direction Church, where my son Kenneth uh, Sullivan Jr. is the pastor. He's the lead pastor. Our east campus is on East 38th Street, uh, 38th and Hawthorne, and our north campus is at uh, 86 and Hague Road. Our service times are 8.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. Uh, on East 38th Street and 10 a.m. on 86th Street. I hope to see you at one of our services. I want to thank you for joining us tonight, and until next time, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune in to our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.EmergeCurriculum.com. 